Okay. Um, we started this new thing. We pray before. Um, oh, I was. Oh, if you didn't pray, I would be out. I would be out. There's no way. <laughs> <coughs> totally random. Should I take this thing off? I feel like it almost ruins the aesthetic. I think it looks so ugly. Oops. Take it off. Take it, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I well, like yeah, but yeah, he needs it though. That mic, <laughs> that mic looked like it was run over by a semi. <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me how this sounds and everything. We're gonna do our mic check now. Okay, yes, matchy match. Okay, good. This sounds good. It sounds fine. Okay. Sounds good. <coughs> okay, one two. You can hear a roach walk. One two. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this mic was used by Olive Haney, so it's anointed. <laughs> okay, are we ready? God, I feel like we're on a television set right now. Okay. Audience, calm down, please. No applause. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, I don't know how I'm going to start this. <laughs> kind of just, oh, yeah. Okay. So just real quick, do you introduce the guests or we just dive right in? How does it go? No, we want to be a mystery and we don't want people okay, to know Okay, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, we're going to introduce you. Okay. All right. I just have a feeling that you're going to start busting out laughing and I don't want to start laughing. So, And it's like the prime of my testimony and we just bust out laughing. There has, <laughs> there has been two podcasts where I was biting my lips so hard because I was going to bust out laughing. I'm going to try not face. to look at you. I'm going to look at Gabby. She's like well, my safe space I forget here. who it was. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyways. Okay. This is episode 20, right? We're on episode 20 finally. We're in the two zeros. Okay. Of Out of the Boat. And today we have Dacia Dillon with us. And she is going to be briefly talking about her testimony. But before we start, I wanted to ask you how you're doing. Because I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. I know that you are... A school counselor now? Yes. Like, is that like a psychiatrist? Not a psychiatrist, but I deal with the counseling field. Okay. Before, hold on. I'm sick, so if anybody's wondering, this is still me. I'm just, I don't, you know, I don't feel good. Okay. When you're dealing with kids, is it like kids come in and be like, I've been abused at home? Or like, like what, what kind, no, I'm just, you know, I'm wondering what kind of things like are brought into you? I think it's important to understand that everyone has their own background, their own stories. So it'll just be a mixture of things. Sometimes kids have an emotional day and they need somebody to talk to. So I'm really that place, that person that hears them, that listens to them. But sometimes, yes, there's trauma. There's things that are happening outside of school because we understand with students, life is so much bigger than school. They have things going on in their family. They have things going on within their own self. They're at that stage where they're learning their identity, their strength, their weaknesses. And we just navigate through all of that. And I'm really a listening ear. And my greatest prayer is just to be that love of God to them on the campus, that every day they can go to school, they feel safe. But more than anything, I am someone that emulates the love of God to them. Is there a line between Christian counseling? Because you're at a public school, correct? Right. Okay. What is the line that you're allowed to like, I guess, dance along, if that makes sense? Because I know you can't flat out be like, well, you, you could go to this church. Yeah. You can't do that, obviously. Yeah, I would say that obviously people can know you're a person of faith, but I think maybe vocalizing it or getting them to like, you know, inviting them to the church flat out, that would probably be, we have <laughs> to be not, a little bit careful that with that. Uh, so I play a lot of instrumental music and I had a kid just the other day tell me, 
is that Waymaker? And she recognized that it was Waymaker. And she's so like, like a I'm a Christian. Yeah. She's like, I'm a Christian. I go to church. And that just touched my heart. So I think for me, I use a lot of psychology to try to connect with them. And also, if I know they're believing kids, like, it's just awesome. I know there's, you can feel like almost the commonality in the spirit, even with my coworkers. Wow. I know just by, you, you'll know them by their fruit. So just by a lot of times connecting with them, knowing them, uh, you're able to tell. And kids just, they tell you everything. Thing. Like, hey, I go to this church or I'm a Christian or I do this on the weekend. So I think that's really cool when we do have that similar background. I don't know if this is extreme, but say there is a kid who is depressed mm -hmm. in the school. What do you what grade range is this? So I am a counselor for K through six. So kindergarten all the way to sixth grade. OK, I don't know. I think there is. Is there kids like this is very extreme is like kids who maybe cut themselves Mm -hmm. what would you say to a kid like that? Because like in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, oh, there's a God that loves you. And oh yeah, but like, for sure. But what do you say? It's a tough situation because obviously I think the first thing I try to do is make sure that they feel safe with me and that I'm emulating that love because if they know, and obviously they're cutting themselves, it's because they've reached a place of hopelessness. So they know, Hey, there's someone on campus that cares for me. There's someone that sees me and there's someone that just listens to me. And I don't just want to have the role of a counselor because that's my title at the school place. I truly do want to emulate the role of a counselor, someone that guides you, believes in you, shows that love to them. So I think for me, when I have students like that, I try to show the love of God first of all, but I think the safety concern is where I have to, as a, an individual that works at the school, come in. Are you safe? I have to ask the proper questions, um, making sure that they Are don't go saved? home. No, safe. Oh. Yeah, I, of course I pray that they're safe too, oh. yes. <laughs> but I have to make sure that if they are harming themselves or this is coming from a place of harm in the home that I ask the right questions and I ask the and I get the proper help on hand so we can't let them a lot of times go home if we have not done our job with making sure that we've asked the right questions that parents are aware and that we bring in resources so of course they are safe at home or anywhere where this is coming from basically we don't want to leave them alone if we know this is going on okay mm -hmm. can you give me a little bit of your testimony and how you got to where you are today and yeah. how God led you there. Of course. So I always mention that my career has never been disconnected from my ministry. I have always seen it work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that you need to pray over every single detail of your life. Sometimes I feel like we have this mindset that we only need to be including God in the quote unquote spiritual areas of our life. Yeah. We only pray over ministry. We only pray over, you know, our future husband or in your guys' case, your future wife. We only limit God to these certain areas of our life. But I'm a firm believer that if we will allow God to orchestrate every single detail of our life we will see God not only lead us in his will overflow the cup in that and so when it came to counseling I feel like I was always that kid growing up that was giving advice to my friends always <laughs> you know just giving advice to them I had a heart to help but I had no idea that God had to be my help before I can do that for other people mm. so it started off with it's interesting during COVID you know everyone had a little bit of downtime to kill I started writing a 
book. And uh, I started all dramatic with the book. I said, (laughs) my story begins where the enemy's plot ends. (laughs) It started so dramatic. And uh, I I will say that the enemy knows if he can't get you before your birth, he'll get you after your birth. Mm. And we see that many times in the Bible. He did not want Moses to be born. So he used a wicked Pharaoh to stop the Hebrew babies from being born because he knew once Moses was born, greatness was going to happen. Even with King Herod, he did not want Jesus to be born. So that law came out, all Hebrew boys be killed three months and under. So all these things, the enemy knows if I can stop the plan of you being born, then I'll stop greatness. But obviously he can't overcome God's plan. So when God allows that birth to happen, he will still try to meddle in and now harm what has been born. And so I feel like that's a lot of my story. So I am half Hispanic and I'm half Mexican. My mom is Hispanic and my dad is, um, wait, I said half yeah, Hispanic I was say, and half. I was like, okay. No, all right, no, half that's Hispanic, just a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Thank goodness I'm a counselor, not a math teacher. I was like, wait, I thought you were Indian. So no, I am. Yeah. So I'm half Hispanic and I'm half Punjabi Indian. Okay. So my my mom is Hispanic and my dad's Punjabi Indian. And so I don't know if you know this, but whenever you marry someone outside of the culture, I feel like it's become a lot more predominantly uh, receiving and accepting. But back in those days, like it was not. And so when my Punjabi Indian dad married a Hispanic woman, he was disowned from his family. So my mom became pregnant with me and my sister. I'm a twin. So um, my mom became pregnant with us within six months of us being born. My Punjabi Indian father could not handle the pressures of his culture. And he ran away. I have never met my biological father. So at the age of 21 years old, my mom was no older than 21, probably 20, 21. My mother became a single mother overnight, raising two twin daughters. And uh, we had a very difficult life growing up. We struggled a lot financially. My mom was, you know, a 20, early 20 year old woman raising two twin daughters all by herself. Uh, Around the age of six months, I got severely sick. My mom said that it was almost like a stomach virus. She said that I was vomiting blood. And finally, she decided to take me to the hospital. And the doctor came out. He said, what in the world were you thinking? And she said, what do you mean? Like, I'm a mom doing it all by myself. He said, if you would have brought this girl one more day, she would have passed away in your arms. So at the age of six months, I remember growing up and seeing pictures of myself in this incubator at the hospital with tubes up my nose. I was fighting for my life. So that's what I'm talking about. If the enemy knows I can't stop the plot of God or the plan of God, excuse me, from the child being born, I'll come after their life. And so at the age of six months, we dealt with that. It was a really difficult time for my mom just raising us. So around the age of, I would say, two to three years old, my stepfather stepped into the picture. And my stepfather also happened to be Punjabi Indian. Where does she find these people? <laughs> Is she That's another in podcast for another day. <laughs> Apparently, my mom really likes Indian men. So, yes. Um, but he came into the picture. But my father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic. He was heavily abusive. And so I think just the disconnect of us not being his own biological children really caused something of there was no relationship. The way that I would describe my relationship with my stepfather, it was out of reverence because of the culture. The Indian culture is very much you respect your elders. There's reverence in the culture. You know, men are the dominant say, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes something where there's not a relationship, 
that's able to be built because it's just reverence out of reverence that leaves a disconnect. And so uh, we never formed a solid relationship with my dad. He was very abusive. And so the domestic violence started with my mom and then it came on to us. I remember vivid moments being three to five years old, being just heavily just slapped, tossed around. It was a very unsafe place. I hated going home. It was very scary for me to go home. And as a kid dealing with all these fears, dealing with a traumatic home, you can imagine, obviously, that takes a toll psychologically and emotionally. So around the age of 10, that's the childhood that we had growing up. Around the age of 10, I uh, was suicidal. Um, my mom, by this time, she had my little brother um, and then my little sister came into the picture. So it was four of us. So at the time we were 10 years old, me and my twin sister and my little brother was about one. My little sister was about six months. My mom needed a babysitter to take care of our younger siblings. So somehow, some way, and I say it this way because God is not non-coincidental but if you were to just look at it through human perspective you would say she just got connected to a random acquaintance but it was the plan of god all along she got connected to a woman that happened to be a babysitter and this woman started taking care of my younger siblings and then started to take care of me and my twin sister this woman lo and behold happened to be apostolic <laughs> she lived a block away from the apostolic church that we still attend to this day wow at the age of 10 years old me and my twins started being babysat by this woman and she had three kids one of the kids she was the daughter in the middle happened to be a sunday school teacher for kids our age she started taking us to church and i really do say this was her ministry every child that this woman has babysat has been introduced to the truth every child. And a lot of them are still in church to this day, including us. This uh, daughter started taking us to church and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. When I got to church, I said, "There were, these people are crazy. Yeah. They are absolutely crazy. Mind you, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I remember the reality of seeing my Punjabi Indian father praying to his false gods on the wall. That's the reality of what I grew up seeing. I remember I didn't believe in a God. I didn't think I would even say I was almost a child atheist. I was so cold. I was very cold in my heart because of what I had experienced growing up. Um, it wasn't only just domestic abuse. It was verbal abuse. I never heard the words, I loved you as a kid. I, 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 I can't even remember being hugged by my parents. There was just such a disconnect beyond just uh, having a family. There was not any sort of attachment. And so when we were 10 years old and we got introduced to this church, I said, I want nothing to do with this God that isn't even real. Keep me as far away as the East is from the West <laughs> from it, because I just want nothing to do. But you know what? I got so desperate a few months ago that I remember I walked into the restroom and I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, okay, if you are real, show it to me. I got so desperate. I had heard about this God. I didn't know if he was real, but I said, you know what? We're just, we're just going to toss the stones and see where they land. Three months later, we happened to be at an apostolic church. And I remember the daughter told us, we're going to be going to a service for kids your age. The only reason I went was because I thought we we're going to the arcade. Like there was this huge van packed of kids. I said, there's no way we're going to go do anything churchy. We are going to the arcade. I am excited. And we showed up to this church service. And I said, you tricked me. You, you tricked me. You better take me to the arcade another day. We're going to go and swimming we today exactly too. 
exactly, <laughs> exactly. I had my shorts and everything ready. But we show up to this church and it's just a service with a bunch of kids our age. And I remember there was a young lady next to me that was maybe about 14 years old. She was a little bit older than me. She was worshiping so freely. And I remember I looked at her and I looked at my sister and I did like the crazy sign next to my head. I said, she's crazy. <laughs> like I mouthed that to her. But you know what? Deep inside, although I was feeling that way, looking at her, there was an intriguement that I said, I've never seen anyone my age worship so freely. Why does she do that? Later that day, the preacher ended up preaching about the love of God. And I was sitting in my seat just very uncomfortable. And when I say uncomfortable, I say, I know God was tugging at my heart, but I was almost scared. I was almost scared that this could be true. And if it's true, that requires vulnerability. And if I have to be vulnerable, that requires facing what I ran away from for so long. And that was my childhood and my past and facing all those things. So I decided I wasn't going to the altar. The babysitter's daughter came up to me. She said, Dossie, let's go to the altar. I said, do not touch me. We are not going to the <laughs> altar. Finally, to get her off my back, I ended up going to the altar and I just kind of plop there. And I remember I looked at everyone and I said, you need to wipe your nose. That is disgusting. Look at those <laughs> boogers coming out. All these tears. I said, oh my goodness. They just, they look ridiculous. Like they look ridiculous. I said, you will never with a 10 foot pole find me ever expressing myself like that and all of a sudden I just kind of sat there and I said you know what I'll just say one phrase to you and I'm having this internal conversation with God that I didn't even know was real or think was real but I said whatever I said I just have one question for you why would you allow me to go through what I went through and I broke down and it was like if I could describe it, it was like a heavenly wind that just rushed into the room. And it was like these heavenly arms wrapped themselves around me. And it was like wanting a hug for 10 years and finally getting it. And it was like wanting to feel the love of God or the love of someone for so long and finally getting it. And I just welled in those heavenly arms as a 10 year old kid. And I sat there in God's presence that entire night. And I remember I ran up to the babysitter's daughter after and I said, what was that? I said, why was I crying? I, I felt so much joy, but at the same time, it's like these tears that I was crying uncontrollably, what was it? And she said, you have just experienced the love of God for the very first time. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to live there. I want to swim there. If I can stay there all the days of my life, I've never met anything so true. I've never met anything so genuine. Like, just please let me stay there. And I continue to go to church with me and my twin sister. We are first generation serving the Lord. And we gave it all to God because when you have nothing and God offers you everything, how do you say no to that? How do you say no to grace? How do you say no to something that God says, I've seen your past. I've seen your fears. I've seen your doubts run into my arms and just be held by me. 
And I don't know why I feel to say this right now, but if there is someone that has just been maybe afraid to jump into those arms, I want to encourage you to run into those arms of Jesus Christ right now. Don't neglect the arms that are holding themselves open for you. Run into those arms and let yourself be held by the grace of God, because that is where you belong and you have always belonged. And I just didn't realize it at that time. And we continued to go to church. And I remember vivid battles stepped in. My mom didn't let us give our life to the Lord for years. It was a constant battle. And finally, she gave in when we were the age of 13. We got baptized. We gave our life to the Lord. And I always say I got baptized on the coolest day ever because I got baptized on July 4th. (laughs) So we celebrate not only America's freedom, but that was the day me and my sister received our spiritual freedom. And every every day that that year comes around or that year, every uh, year that that day comes around, it really is just such a reminder like, God, it's our anniversary. That's really the way I see it. God, as my husband, it's our anniversary. I just think back on just his goodness. And every day, I don't need, I don't think it needs to be, you know, uh, Resurrection Sunday or the day of your baptism to remember every single day what God has done for you. I think that's what keeps our love alive. If we can remember every single day what God has done for us, every day I wake up remembering two things, what God has done for me and the day that God saved me. And that's how I keep my love fresh with him. Remember what he's done. It doesn't need to be our anniversary, you know? And so just remembering what God has done and we continued this walk. Uh, We got baptized at the age of 13. And I remember my mom vividly just letting us know. God has really worked with my mom's heart, but I remember the vivid battles of her letting us know you're not going to become a Christian. I'm not going to let you. As far as living in this home, you will not be that as long as you're here. And so it was a it was a fight, but we continue to do it with all our hearts. And I have two younger siblings that now by the grace of God are serving God. Wow. Because we stood in between the gap. And I, I and I want to say this, if we had never answered the call to God, someone else would have down in our lineage. And maybe it wasn't going to be easy, but we had to stand in between the gaps so they can serve the Lord and receive the truth. They have never known a day outside of church. They, they were those kids, quote unquote, that were raised crawling under the pews because two young girls decided to say yes to God. My parents got divorced around the age of um, 15. And so they're not together anymore. And so God has continued to work with my mom. My father, unfortunately, still practices the Sikh religion. So he and his Hinduism, he practices the Sikh religion. But we're just still praying for that promise. God has really dealt with my mom. She's come a long way. She let both me and my uh, siblings get baptized. And the Lord is just dealing with her heart. She is not an active churchgoer yet, but we hold on to the promises of God. And we know that the Lord is dealing with her. She comes to church with us here and there. But I think the greatest testimony that we can take away is as a child, she never seen it. Now that we're older, she looks at us and says, there is no way you guys could have could have not survived it, but was not for the grace of God. So I think she sees it. And I think it's that full picture moment where she sees the Lord has really had his hand upon them. And so this is always a plot twist I love sharing with people. So you know how I told you that the apostolic babysitter had three kids? She had two daughters and one son. Mm-hmm. My twin sister is now married to the son. Oh my gosh. So yeah. we are family with the babysitter that introduced us to God. That's crazy. And now I teach the kids that I came into that group with. 
And a few years ago, God gave me the privilege of leading the youth ministry back at our district. And I think it was just such an emotional thing for me because I will say this, you never know when your greatest scars in life, once you give them over to God, God has the ability to take your greatest scars and turn them into your greatest weapons. And I have seen just God actively do that in people's lives that will give him their scars and say, here you go, take it. Only you can deal with messes like this. And God will take those messes and transform them into the greatest weapons that we now used against the enemy, but for the kingdom of God and for his people. So when you really hand it over to God, God really has the ability to make something beautiful, that whole beauty into ashes. I, I will say, and so I will confidently say that God has navigated every step of my life. And I'm sitting here by the grace of God now in a place where I'm a counselor pouring into broken children. And I will say my career doesn't sprout from just, I decided one day that I want to do this and it sounds cool. It comes from a place of brokenness. And I think what motivates me every single day to be a counselor is when I look at my relationship with God, I think, how could you have believed in me? I had nothing to offer you. I had just scars and ashes and broken pieces, but you took them together and you seen something purposeful. And I think that's what drives me as a counselor. I see you for you and your story and your scars. But if you will just see what God sees, that's actually become a prayer of mine. God, help me see people the way that you see them. And when you take that into just perspective, that drives me every day as a counselor to see my kiddos for the way that God sees them and in that purpose that he's seen me. Because even counselors need the mighty counselor themselves. (laughs) So I'm just thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for his love. And we truly are a product of his grace and love here today. Kind of want to backtrack a little bit. You're talking about how the love of God you experienced at a young age. I feel like in church, especially people who are at an older age, they've done a lot of stuff. Their testimony still in progress. They're not in church fully. How can they experience the love of God when every time they come to church, they just feel condemnation and shame and guilt? I would say even in the book of Ephesians, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. Notice it says full. It doesn't say just certain pieces. One of the greatest pieces of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. This piece has really intrigued me for very long because think about it this way. If you guys have owned a bike, you know that the state of California passed a law that says you cannot no longer ride a bike without a helmet. Knee pads were all right. Shin pads were all right. But why is a helmet so detrimental? Because if you fall and you mess up something in your head, there's nerves there's neurons, your memory can be affected. The head is such a sensitive, critical area. So now let's take that into a spiritual perspective. Why the helmet of salvation? Because anyone that would go to war, if their head was affected, they would automatically just lose. Their their brain is in there, the most important compartment of their entire body. And so when it's talking about putting on the helmet of salvation, it's saying, hey, What is the biggest battle that I feel we face a lot of times? Our mind is the biggest battlefield. 
It is. It's where the enemy comes in with lies. It's where the enemy comes in with doubts, with fears. He attacks your mind. So why does God say, put on the helmet of salvation? Because I know the enemy is going to come after your mind. I know the enemy is going to attack you with doubts, with fear, with your past, with your condemnation. So every single day, put on the helmet. In other words, when you put on the helmet and notice what it says of salvation, what is salvation? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus did on the cross. It's that's what gave us access to salvation. Well, what happened on Calvary besides just giving us access to salvation? Satan was defeated. So every day that we put on the helmet of salvation, it's saying, wait a minute, Satan, I remember when Jesus went on the cross and you were defeated. You know why the enemy hates the helmet of salvation? Because every single time we remind him of his heavenly defeat. Every single time we re- when he comes and he throws our past at us, wait a minute, didn't you lose the battle over 2,000 years ago? Didn't you lose? Didn't the blood make our mistakes and our past as white as snow? And the enemy has already lost that battle. It's crumbled. So I would say to anyone that feels I can't serve God freely, the love of God, how can I accept it? Stay close to the cross. Cling to the cross. Stay there and put on the helmet of salvation every day. Remind the enemy that he lost the battle. And because he lost the battle, your slate is clean. The Lord did it. The Lord stepped in between the past and the condemnation of the past. And that's what's going to keep you. I honestly feel like this is a common theme the past like couple weeks because we've been talking about the love of God and we're talking about getting close to the cross Mm -hmm. and man for the (laughs) for me and maybe any others that might have that question it's like how do you get besides like prayer and fasting maybe Mm -hmm. that is the only thing how do you get closer to the cross how do you stay close to the cross I would say vulnerability you have to be vulnerable to get to the cross. I think about people in the Bible like Peter. He spent three to three and a half years with Jesus. And when he denied Christ, I can imagine he probably thought to himself, I can't get close to him anymore. Look what I've done. Look at my mistakes. But it had to come to a point where he had to remember, wait a minute, Jesus loves me. And Jesus seen me at the most vulnerable times of my life. He seen me when I fell in the water and he had to stretch out his hand towards me. He made eye contact with me when I denied him three times. Vulnerability is tough, but it's vulnerability and being honest that will take you to the cross. Because here's the reality of it. The cross is not for perfect people. When you understand that the gospel is for people that are imperfect and people that have mistakes, that have shame, that have guilt, you understand the cross is for you. And it has to be a tough pill to swallow and say, wait a minute, I am a sinner. I do fall short of the glory of God. I'm not enough. I need the cross. That requires pride to be stepped to the side and vulnerability to step in. So it requires us to take a self-examination and say, I'm not perfect and I need you. And that's when the door opens to vulnerability. It's a very tough thing to do because it requires you to take a look at the mirror and say, I've messed up or I need you and I can't do it all by myself. And that's when the cross steps in. It holds us and it holds us up. And it's for people like you and me that recognize that we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. When you say 
vulnerability. I know I just talked about this, I think, last night. Um, somebody told me, like, oh, we'll just, you know, pour out your heart, like, from your earliest memory to the current date. Just talk about your life. And that person ended up six hours. He was talking to God about mm. just his life, his earliest memory. Um, when you say vulnerability, like, in what way? Like, are you talking about, like, God, this is, like, what I'm struggling with? Or, mm -hmm. like, um, I don't know. Like, how vulnerable? Uh, you don't have to tell me, but, I mean, like, how <laughs> vulnerable do you get? Or, like, what do you talk about? I would say D, all of the above. Okay. So, what I mean by that is, <laughs> I think making sure that we repent every single day is so important because it keeps us understanding that we need God's grace. I messed up. I need your grace if something's bothering you, be vulnerable with God. That's what makes him the mighty counselor. I'm, I'm here to hear you out. Pour your heart out before the Lord. I think about David when he danced before the Lord. He, he just, he cried before the feet of the Lord. Vulnerability in the sense of God, you have seen me in ways that nobody else has. I will, I will confidently say that God has seen me in ways that nobody else has. And if we're looking at it from the perspective, me as a female, I would say just intimacy with the Lord, with understanding that we, in a way, we become spiritually naked before God. You know, I, I always make the joke that as a little kid, I, you know, we, we have these weird scenarios sometimes where we're like oh my goodness like if a killer comes in the house <laughs> I hope it's not this way as a kid and this is gonna sound kind of funny I was afraid that I would get killed in the shower like I'm like if I if a killer were to ever step in the house I pray that the only way I don't get killed is in the shower <laughs> why because without just like having that clothing you feel vulnerable here's the thing just being spiritually naked before the Lord presents vulnerability. In other words, you see all my scars in my body. You know everything. You know my past. I'm not putting on pieces of clothing. And I even want to mention this. When Adam and Eve sinned, automatically clothes had to be brought into the picture. Before they were blameless before God, they could just be honest with God. There was obedience. There was a full trusting relationship. When sin stepped into the picture, clothing had to be brought in. So for anyone listening, take that clothing off. Let it be shown, <laughs> not in that way, but I mean spiritually. Spiritually, we have these things that we try to hide from God and we put this spiritual clothing on. And it's like, I don't want to show God this. I don't want to show God these scars. Let God see you in that vulnerability. It was that vulnerability of Adam and Eve physically and spiritually that they seen God like they never seen him before. And so I would say vulnerability really is a place that God has to see you. I would say like nobody else has seen you, your past, your shame, your doubt, what's bugging you, all of these things, let it be seen before God. <laughs> Okay, I do have a question on top of that. It, it, I always say it sounds elementary, but what I know a lot of people think, like, oh, what's the point of being vulnerable with God if, like, he knows? Like, why I do I have to say it? Because it, it tastes horrible coming out of my mouth. Saying, yeah. I don't want to say that. You already know it. Why do I have to say I it? I get what you're saying. You know? I would say it brings a confidence, but it also, there's a faith that goes into just the atmosphere when you vocalize things into god it's it's like that's what he wants to hear have you ever been like maybe you had a discussion with someone and you know 
that they're sorry, but you want to have them say it? Say it, yeah. Exactly. That's the same thing with God. I know you're feeling that way, but once you confess it, why do you think even by the confession of your words, you're saved? Because God wants to hear it. Out of the confession of your mouth is the abundance of your heart. So when you say things, it's not only just getting to a place where you can vocalize them. There's so much power in your words, so much power in your tongue, but it's also what God wants to hear. It's fully letting him know I'm surrendering these words. It's not just what I'm feeling interiorly. It's, it's a confession, but it's also a step of faith when you are able to vocalize those things. Like something's bothering me, but here's me finally releasing it. I would say from the perspective of a counselor, there are a lot of students that I meet with that they have things that they're dealing with internally, but it's not until they take the time to sit down with a counselor and say things. After our conversations, I ask them, how does it feel talking about that? They say, I just feel so much better when I can say it and I can vocalize it. say it out loud. There's just a release. That's yeah. the word that I would put. There's a release, but there's also a faith that is released when you can vocalize these things to God. Like, finally, my child, you have unlocked the confession of faith. Now I can help you with what you vocalized. Mm. Do you think, okay, well, that begs another question so do you think it because people hold back something and they're not vulnerable they're like oh it doesn't really matter and hold it back but they want god to work on it mm -hmm. do you think that like stunts god from doing something because you won't be vulnerable with that situation with him i would say so i think according to just god's grace and mercy and the way that he works he wants you to get to a place that you can one feel comfortable with god but it also releases trust like you finally told me I finally, why do you think, even when I think about individuals that maybe were a victim of some sort, why do you think it's so difficult for them to get to a place where they vocalize it? There's something so scary about vocalization, but there's something so powerful that happens when we vocalize it. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. When you finally vocalize it, it's God saying, thank you, my child. I have wanted to hear it from you. And I, I don't believe anything can stunt God because God is just omnipotent. But I will say that God will get you to a place where he's so good that he will make it work out where you finally have that trust. And I hope to anybody listening, you unlock that trust where you can finally share with God what's going on. Cause there is so much power with that. Before I ask the big question, I was very intrigued about your, your love experience with God mm -hmm. when you were young I feel like I talk about this every podcast, <laughs> but like that just interests me because I feel like I've never had that experience and I've always wanted to have that experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm like more than ever now I'm seeking for it like crazy. Mm. I want to have like, I've had like a, an experience where like, yeah, like God, I feel like help me let go of something or, uh, delivered from this or this is this is this, whatever. And like, you know, I feel like, Oh, I'm crying at the altar and everything like mm -hmm. a good breakthrough. But I want to have like that experience where I literally feel like God's wrapping his arms around me. Mm. And I don't feel like I've ever, like I can say I've had that before. And it's crazy that you just walk into a service. And <laughs> it's right there for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I would say just dealing with all the her and the childhood that I had, it was, it was like God 
just orchestrated that moment and I was able to walk into those arms. But I don't think you need to have that similar testimony or story to understand the love of God for what it is. I would say every season of our life, God introduces his love in a beautiful way to us. And it's just about wrapping our minds and uh, and running into those arms in whatever season that we're in. Because we can be in a season where we feel like Peter, that we failed God and God's love is introduced to you from the perspective of failure. Or we can be in a season where, uh, like Elijah, we were in this cave and God's love and his whisper comes in and wraps itself around us in that season that we're in. So I would say whatever season you're in, just just ask the Lord. Going back to what we talked about, vocalize it. I want to experience your love in a way that I have never felt it before. But I will say this. I was talking to someone earlier before the podcast, so I'm glad you brought that up. Do not be surprised when God will make you the character in the stories of the Bible. I feel like those are some of the most powerful experiences that I have had because I'm not just speaking from a perspective or going about a season from a perspective of prayer and fasting. I studied what I was going to minister or speak about, but when I've been Peter and I understand what it's like to fail God and God's love comes in, I understand love from the perspective of Peter or when I have been David and I have been dealing with sadness and God makes me go into the temple and worship. I understand how to worship from a place like that. So if we're asking for these things, be ready to receive a lot of these things, but God will orchestrate those according to the season that you're in and the way that he needs to reach you. Cause a lot of times God will reach for you according to the way he needs to reach for you in that season. So in that time, I will say he needed to reach for me with love. I will say, as I have gotten older, God has shown me different pieces of his face. What do I mean by that? God is so so immense and astronomical, you can never fully understand the depths of him. But I will say I have seen God in different pieces of his face. For example, as a child that came from a broken place, I needed to understand God as a father. So that's how he introduced himself to me. When I was in my teenage years, I will say this, I was afraid of struggling financially because we had experienced that so much in our childhood that I told the Lord, don't ever let me suffer or encounter something where I struggle financially. And then I went through a season like that. And I remember when the Lord came to me and he said, I know that was a fear. So I had to tackle it. And I wanted to become your financial provider, not your job. Mm. So as a teenager, I understood God as my provider. Now that I'm older, I'm understanding God as my husband because that's the season that I'm in. I'm understanding God's love, how to be vulnerable before God. So I will say this, God has so many pieces of him that he wants to reveal himself to his people according to the season that you're in. Ask the Lord what season you're in and how you want yourself to be revealed to me. I would say that's the question I would ask the Lord. Whatever season I'm in, how do you, what part of your face do you want to show me? There are seasons that God wants to show you his eyes, his vision. There are seasons that God wants to show you his mouth. I want to be this to you. What do you want the Lord to be for you in this season? But more importantly, what does the Lord need to be for you in this season? Sorry, real quick before you ask the big one. With vulnerability comes big questions. Right. And I remember you said earlier, you ask God a question that most people are afraid to ask. And it's God, pretty much, if you love me, why would you put me through mm-hmm. what I went through? How can someone who becomes vulnerable and has that realization where I'm like, oh, I'm actually mad at God. I have this hidden hatred for God. 
how can they transition from that point in life to getting that revelation that you got? I would say revelation, a lot of times it can come instantly, but sometimes it will be a process. I believe God can absolutely reveal his revelation of who he is instantly to people. When they get the Holy Ghost or they get filled of God, that's a revelation. I understand who God is. But when we're dealing with more things with trauma and things that take time to heal, that doesn't happen overnight. So I will say if there's someone that's frustrated because maybe they're not there yet, it's going to take time. But it comes with vulnerability. And once again, when I'm talking about vulnerability, this is what I would say. This is the analogy the Lord gave me a long time ago. He said, think about it like you're gonna go into an operating room. If you guys have ever been to the hospital, one of the first things that make you do is wear a hospital gown. Those things are very vulnerable. Like, <laughs> that one string like gets untied, you know, it's just, they're vulnerable. They're very uncomfortable. They're very, very uncomfortable. When I was around like 15 years old, I had to get stitches. And so I had to go to the hospital, get that stitched up. The first thing they made me do was get into hospital gown. I was like, wow, this thing is uncomfortable. And I remember walking down this long, cold, white hallway to this like operating table it was so scary and it was so uncomfortable. And I got into this room and right in the middle of the room was an operating table and I had to lay there. And I just had to have this confidence that this surgeon that was gonna come in and stitch me up was going to know what he's doing. So when I was laying there, it was very uncomfortable. And I remember him grabbing the sharp knives and the pieces and getting very uncomfortable on the bed that I was laying, but I had a trust that I knew that this was going to hurt, but it was what I was going to need to happen for healing to take place. Vulnerability and trusting God and all these things of being healed, it's going to hurt getting to a place of finally confronting it with God. It's not easy. I would describe it. It's like you're walking down this long, cold hallway to meet the surgeon of your heart. And that's God. And as you're laying down on that bed, you just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. And I can imagine as, as he was stitching me up, it hurt. But I knew if I don't get this stitched up, it was going to be more detrimental later down the road. So I'll tell someone this. It's like having a flat tire and you see it as you're getting ready to pull out of your driveway and instead of looking at it and taking the time to change it on the driveway of your house, you go onto the freeway. And you are more at risk of that being so much more dangerous down the road and ruining your destination, rather, if you would have just attended to it at the driveway. Well, that's how it is with healing. If God is wanting to do something in your heart, he'll give you signals. He'll make you uncomfortable. He'll make you walk down that long, quote unquote, cold hallway and make you uncomfortable. But I would rather deal with you now then when you're 40 years old and you have kids and it's a generational trauma because you never met with me. Mm. So I want you to have an appointment with me, daughter. I want you to have an appointment with me, son, that you show up to the operating room and you're ready to let me just deal with you. And it's going to hurt, but it's the hurt that causes the healing. And every day, the stitches are right here on my chin that I look at my stitches. I think about that experience. And although it hurt, those stitches represent a victory. Those stitches don't look nice, but they're victorious. Well, that healing maybe was not nice, but it was victorious and it needed to happen. And so making an appointment with God, I would say is the first step. Hey God, I know I've been running away from this. Let me make an appointment to finally show up to the hospital room, getting vulnerable before God and letting God deal with the operating 
heart that he needs to and letting ourselves be vulnerable before God and letting that healing take place. And I would rather God deal with me now than when I'm 30, 40, 50 years old because I never made an appointment with God to address what needed to be dealt with. And now this hurt is bleeding into other people because I never made an appointment with God. Something that could have been taken care of now has carried on for so long. And that's why I would even say shame and guilt comes in. You deal with it so long and you never give it over to God. The enemy will always have the power to taunt you over it. So give it over to God. God's going to deal with it. God's grace is going to step in and the enemy loses all power when you make an appointment with the heart surgeon of your soul. Wow. <laughs> you were you were talking about how I think it was you that said that if they were um, their trauma, they get mad at God or realize that they're mad at God. And it was actually a year ago, this conference that I was praying and I think it was uh, Joey Campitella or someone was here. And for years, I was always been mad at my dad. I was like, it's because of you. I'm like this. It's because of you. I do this. It's because of you. I deal with this. And this mm -hmm. is all this stuff. And it like all stems out to these different things. And then I realized, I was like, how could I be mad? Like, how could I be mad at someone that was hardly ever in my life? Mm -hmm. And I realized that night it was like, boom, it was like a light bulb when I was like, I'm mad at God. Mm. I'm like so bitter because just like you said, like, why would you let somebody go through this? Why would you let yeah. somebody deal with these things? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's never ending sometimes, but that's what I thought about. I don't, you don't have to answer anything to that, but I was just, no, like, I would say this evil does not come from God. Evil is just a result of people having their own free will. So understanding that one, see the enemy knows I can't touch God's character. So I will touch the way his children think towards God. Look at Adam and Eve. He knew that I can't touch God. But when he went to Eve, he said, God doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he knows you'll be like him. The enemy knows I can't touch God's character and his goodness, but I'll go after their children to try to change their mindset towards God. And that's where he'll use evil. He'll use the things that have happened in your life to make you turn towards God. So you never come to the Lord. And I remember having that vivid question uh, around 18 years old. I had gotten in a, like a discussion with my mom. I ran to my room and I plopped on the ground. I just love that word plopped. I, I plopped on the ground. Plopped. And I said, I have never asked you this question, but I'm going to boldly ask you this question. Why would you give me the parents you gave me? If you want me to serve you so freely, why do you give me a father that doesn't even believe in this faith and a mom that's going to make it so difficult? And I'll never forget what the Lord told me. He said, the reason that I gave you the father that I gave you is so that I would step in and show you fatherly love so that I would step in and embrace you like a mother. Everything you lack, Dacia, is what I have become. And I remember just those vivid words. I said, God, you truly have become everything I did not have. Maybe I didn't see it then. And maybe for anyone listening, you don't see it now. But I promise you that I promise you, Romans 8, 28, he will work all things out for the good according to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He will work it out if you will just go to him. He has the ability to turn the things around. And I think understanding that my hurt, although I was hurt, the evil did not stem from God. God, in fact, worked out the evil in my favor. The evil stemmed from just this world being able to make their free choices and understanding that God will work those things out no matter what happens in my life. He will work it out. Wow. The last question that I have so mm -hmm. far is how powerful is your testimony 
to the ministry or how important do you think one's testimony is to their ministry? I would say it's the feel, it's the drive, and it's really the foundation of it all. Because I think about Revelation twelve eleven, where it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Every single time you remember your testimony, you are remembering what God has done for you. And I would even take it a step further in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy, God continually would remind the Israelites, do not forget that I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. He would always remind them who he is and what he's done every single time. And I started to think to myself, what's the connection with that? Here's the thing. The moment you forget what God has done, you forget who he is because what he has done is connected to who he is. He healed me, so he's a healer. He restored me, so he's a restorer. Who he is is connected to what he's done. He loves me, that's the reason I have my testimony. He saved me, that's the reason he orchestrates every detail of my life. So I would say that having a testimony and remembering what the Lord has done is fuel to your Christian walk, but it's fuel to your relationship. It's like your anniversary, remembering what God has done. And it's that love and it's that appreciation that you have. The two are interconnected. You cannot forget what the Lord has done because by forgetting what he has done, you forget who he is. That's his nature. You have to remember, for example, like us as friends, the way that you act in this friendship is a reflection of the friend you are. Well, the way that God acts and the way he saved you and the story you have is a reflection of the God he is to you. So when we disconnect our testimony or what the Lord has done, we disconnect his nature and his character for being the motive of why we have the testimony we have. Wow. (laughs) If you don't have any more thoughts, I literally have nothing to say. No, that was powerful. Yeah, like really I feel was. like I don't have to go to the Lifeline conference. <laughs> oh, for real? Oh. I do have one more thing that I do want to share. And this is to maybe anyone that is struggling to share their story or to share their testimony. I do feel a powerful urge in the spirit like never before to profess and proclaim what the Lord has done in everyone's life. There's a portion of scripture uh, where this man by the name of Thomas tells the people that he's around, he says, I am not going to believe in Jesus until he shows up and he shows me his nail pierced hands. And right there where the hole of the nail is, I am able to put my finger in between. That's how just stubborn and tough he was on that. I'm not going to believe until Jesus shows me his nail pierced hands. Well, Jesus returns. And I believe Jesus returned for so many reasons. I think one of the reasons is Peter needed to know that Jesus loved him after he denied him. But I think also Jesus needed to show up for this man named Thomas that doubted Jesus' resurrection. Jesus shows up and sure enough, he stretches his hand out to Thomas And Thomas is able to put his finger through the nail pierced hands. And that's what got him to believe. You know how powerful your testimony is? When you show them your nail pierced hands, we're talking about vulnerability. Your testimony comes with a lot of vulnerability, but it also comes with a lot of scars. When you share and you tell the world, those that are hurting, look at my nail pierced hands, quote unquote, you are sharing with them a part that, Maybe I can imagine as Thomas looked at Jesus' nail pierced hands, it was not a pretty picture. 
But as much as it wasn't a pretty picture, it was so powerful because it represents, I just feel the Holy Ghost right now. I really do because it represented Jesus's scars and what he went through on Calvary, but it also represented the victory and the power of resurrection. When you tell people your testimony and you share with them your nail-pierced hands, you never know when it will get doubting Thomases to believe. People that said, I'm never going to believe in God. I'm never going, I'm an atheist. Take that away from me. You say, look at what the Lord has done for me. Look at my nail-pierced hands. And that's what a lot of times will get doubting Thomases to believe. It's not a pretty picture, but this is what the Lord has done for me. It has my nails on it, but this is what the Lord has done for me. And you never know by stepping out and sharing your testimony, it will get doubting Thomases to believe because our nail pierced hands show scars and vulnerability, but they also show the victory of the power of the resurrection in look at what the Lord has done, and it is a finished product. So to anyone that is struggling to share their testimony or share their story, think about the doubting Thomases out there in the world that need you to say what the Lord has done for you and share it boldly, and you never know when that's going to get them to believe. That's the power of a testimony. I think it's appropriate to end this podcast with a prayer, honestly. So I'm going to pray right now. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for this podcast, God. Thank you for what you've done, God. Thank you for bringing Dacia. Thank you for speaking through us. Thank you for guiding us and leading us and meeting us here today, God. Thank you for ministering to whoever's going to listen and to us today, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, that honestly was probably the most powerful podcast I think we've done. I literally almost cried like three times. Literally right at the end there too, when you're doing the nail pierce thing, I was like (laughs) trying to get back in tear. That story means a lot to me because it really does show like Jesus came back for Peter, but I think he came back for Thomas too. And Thomas went out to proclaim the gospel. You never know what showing your scars as tough as it is will happen when other people believe. You never know. And who those people will reach to after that. Exactly. Exactly. That is the power of nail pierced hands. I can imagine like looking at someone's hand with a hole in it. (laughs) But it's it's not a pretty picture, but it's so powerful. Like, wow, that means scars, but it means power of resurrection too. Yeah. That was a powerful episode. Praise God. Praise God. I will say, though, Dacia, when you said to take the clothes off, <laughs> I put... All right. All right. We're actually making a comeback here. We have <laughs> one more question that's a really good question because it's actually a question that I have all the time. Okay. I feel like I don't have a testimony sometimes because I didn't go get drunk. I didn't go sleep around. I didn't go do all these crazy things that, you know, like everybody, oh, I was in the world. I did this and this. And then they come back to mm-hmm. church and they're on fire and like, oh my gosh, they have a crazy testimony. That's what we always say. Oh, they have a crazy testimony. But someone like me who was born and raised in church, I feel like, well, I don't have a testimony because I didn't go buck wild, you know? <laughs> so what do you say to the person who feels like they don't have a testimony? 
AKA me or someone else. So I would target this question with a story. So a few years ago, there was a friend that brought that exact same question up to me. She was raised in church. She was a pastor's daughter, never felt like she went buck wild. I don't even know what buck wild is, but wild, okay? <laughs> and she never felt like she did any of that. She said, temptations were presented to me, but I never you know, indulged or went in that direction. And I remember I sat there and I said, what do I tell her? Because I feel like when people do hear my testimony, I think, oh, like you have testimonies like other people that were in the world and had all these crazy things to happen to them. I can't really relate because I wasn't raised in church. And immediately the Lord spoke to me. And I kid you not, it could have only been God that could have given me this answer because I didn't know what I was going to tell her. This young lady in particular, uh, her personality was very... Uh, she was a perfectionist. I feel like a lot of times like me, I can be a perfectionist. Like I want to make sure I do everything right, everything to the T. And uh, she was a perfectionist. And I remember when I was tackling this question with her, the Lord told me I crafted her personality exactly for the way that I needed her to be. And you know her dossier from a friendship perspective that whenever she messes up or does something wrong, you know the way that it gets to her. It like beats her up. And the Lord told me her testimony is not only the fact that I have kept her. It's that we know that anybody that has maybe the enemy has came in and, and indulged in sin. Although the power of the cross is so powerful, the enemy's greatest weapons are shame and guilt. And if she would have indulged in that lifestyle, even though saved, the enemy would have attacked her with shame and with guilt. And that would have just been such a heavy thing for her to deal with. So I need you to tell her that the power of her testimony is not only that I kept you all these years, is that I did not give God, I did not give the enemy access to you. Because if you would have messed up, the enemy would have come and taunted you with that mistake or with those sins. And I have cut off his ability to shame and guilt you because I have kept you in my walk because I know the way that I have crafted your personality and you would not have handled it. And I looked at her and I told her that she, we're sitting in a park, like in a public place, broke down. She said, I never thought of it that way. It wasn't just that the Lord has kept me all these years. And I thought, well, I never did anything wrong. So I can't have a testimony. It's my grace is so sufficient that I have made sure the enemy does not have access to shame and guilt you because I knew that the way that it was going to get to you was going to harm you. And I have cut off his hand, sort to say, to not have access to you. And that is the power of your testimony. Do you think the result of him cutting, cutting it off for the, for the devil not to attack her is the result of someone praying for her or do you think it's because god foresaw that she couldn't handle what was going to come against her i think it would be a combination of both uh the power of prayer obviously just being raised in a christian home that she was i knew that her parents prayed for her i knew that obviously she had a very strong relationship with the lord but i think it's just it's our personalities the lord knows the way he crafts our personalities he knows the way that we are our interests our personalities he's hand-knitted us and so because of that, sometimes uh, the enemy will use our personality against us. He, he knows what our weaknesses are according 
to our personality, according to our struggles, our past, all these things. So the enemy will inch his way towards those things. And I, I, I truly do believe God and his sovereignty knew that. He knew that when he crafted her and he said, I'm not only just going to keep you, but I'm going to make sure that the enemy's hand is cut off so he does not have the ability to shame and guilt you. That is your testimony. Wow. All right. That's been episode 20 of Out of the Boat. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. I like that question a lot.